spend some time in the sermon in Genesis, and then uh, I'm just really enjoying being in Revelation, so we're getting the bookends today. Thank you, God, for giving us the plan for the end. Help us to understand it more, the big picture, up close picture, the whole thing. Father, thank you for your help now by your Holy Spirit. You wrote this word through John, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... chapter 11, I don't want to say stuck there, but this is a really, really huge, important moment. Um, on our timeline, midpoint is a huge, important moment. Rapture certainly is important. That's our favorite one, but it, uh, it is important, certainly, too. We're down here at the end of the seven and a half years, then that's 1260 days, and this is mentioned numerous times in the Bible. Then there's an additional 30 days, because Daniel mentions 1290 days. So on your timeline, it calls this a period of, let's look at timelines for a little bit. We're going to pull out might uh, add on two or three references to your timeline. We're right here. we got those six trumpets, uh, where God begins to pour out his wrath on the world left behind after the rapture. After the sixth trumpet is blown, then we're in this interlude where Jesus has one foot in the sea, one on the land, and he opens this small scroll. And out of this small scroll, see this big, big trumpet here? That's the, that's the seventh one. We'll probably get to that today. As he opens this small scroll and reads from it, the seventh trumpet is blown. The, the third woe is released with that. And soon to follow, seven bowls, the final actions of God's wrath are pouring out quickly. This all happens within this 30 days. Up here at the top, um, he describes the illustration as reclamation, reclaiming God's uh, reign over the earth. And we'll see that here in chapter 11. I wanted to look down towards uh, the bottom of your illustration. We don't go down there very often. One thing we're going to touch base on is, this is actually green on your, your illustration, kind of a dark, ugly green. But the unsaved world, you can track the unsaved world across the whole timeline to find out what's happening in their lives. Sort of turmoil in the first three and a half years. Um, here's the red circle, is, you know, whether they take the mark or not. Those who do not take the mark. safety, but after the rapture, everything gets wonky, and then you see the, the arrows that go downward to the eternal lake of fire, shouldn't die up there. So at this point, this is where the sixth trumpet is blown, um, it mentions that a third of mankind dies in that sixth trumpet, so a third of mankind goes down to Here, the top one is blue. It's unsaved Israel. They signed a covenant with the Antichrist for seven years of peace, so they have a false sense of security here. And then at the midpoint, things get really, really interesting for them. That's when the two witnesses we've been listening to, uh, that's when they begin to preach in Jerusalem. 
supernaturally protected for three and a half years, uh, comes out of there. Those Israelites who don't take the mark, they have the opportunity to be saved. Those who take the mark, uh, day of the Lord and casualties after the rapture. So just want to give you an idea how the illustration works there. So down here at the bottom of this green arrow with a one-third Lord, no, I'm sorry, one third of mankind died at the sixth trumpet. If you want to, you can write Revelation 9, Rev 9.15. That's a 9.15. Remember that sixth trumpet is described. I don't think I did that for you back when we were in chapter 9. Okay, so we're spending a lot of time right in this area with the small bowl open, right before the seventh trumpet, right before the seven bowls. Wrapping up the two witnesses, they died, they resurrect here, all in this time frame here. So we're not stuck. We're going through a, a really critical time and fleshing out a bunch of that stuff. So that's why we're skipping it. Okay, any comments or questions from the previous stuff before we go further this morning? Okay, let's pick it up, Revelation chapter 11. At verse 11, just so we're back in the zone here a little bit. After the three and a half days that the, the two witnesses are laying dead in the street, a breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet. Terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that, so a new territory now, verse 13. At that very hour. So what is that very specifically? A lot of times you hear, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw in Revelation. But in this moment, John says, what? At that very hour, this happened. So what's he clearly saying? When the two witnesses are called up to heaven, something happens immediately as they go up into heaven. What is that? At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. A tenth of the city collapsed. What city are they in? Jerusalem, a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified, gave glory to the God of heaven. Let's dig in there a little bit. We're going to see this just continuing to happen. Almost whenever there's something major happens, an earthquake accompanies it. Any ideas on what that, why that might be? Shaking the foundation. Okay, shaking the foundation. Yeah. So if you're on the planet, and so far you're rejecting God, and every time a significant declaration of God's presence, his will, his prophetic words, so the whole world is watching these, these uh up, the whole world is watching. If not in that moment, they're going to watch the, it's going to go viral, right? The voice come up here, and the two going up into the clouds, back to God, that that little 10 second video clip is going to go viral. It's going to be on every single phone on the planet, every single computer, the whole world is going to be watching that over and over. 
what happens in that moment, the moment they go up, what happens? Very quickly. So, is that coincidence? When time after time after time, when God's doing something obvious, and he sends an earthquake to accompany it, is there is there any excuse for anybody who ends up going to hell? Is there any excuse for them to say, well, you never told me, you never got my attention, you never explained to me what was going on. Is there, is there any excuse? If that's not what God's doing, why is he doing it? Because he's doing everything possible to give people an opportunity over and over and over again. didn't send those two witnesses to, to preach repentance for three and a half years for no good reason. He's still offering opportunity for salvation. So we see again here, now this earthquake happens in Jerusalem. Why in the world would God send an earthquake into Jerusalem? I thought he cared about Israel. I thought the big purpose of the end times was to save the Jews. Warning. Warning. Again, trying to reach the Jews who were living right there. They've been listening to the prophets for, for three and a half years. Yes. Is there a fault there? Or would that be real rare? You know, that's a really good question. Gary's asking if there's a fault, an actual fault that runs through Jerusalem. I think there is one. Uh, it's not at the level of San Andreas or something, you know, like we think California might um, but there is a fault. Don't we have one that's like down in Missouri, Kansas, and Wyoming that mm-hmm. kind of tickles? But I think it's along those lines. In history, there there has been, there was one decent earthquake down that way like 150 years ago or something. But So there there is something there. Yeah, very good question. And so yeah, it would be when you, when you have a, a five-point California, what do you kind of wonder about? That a precursor of a bigger one coming, so so that could certainly be what God is doing, part of it. I'm trying, I'm trying to catch hearts and minds of Israel, the Israelites, and their their opportunity to be saved is just about to run out. So, Israel sits on the Syrian-African rift that and has experienced large quakes. Every 80 to 100 years for centuries. Exactly 91 years ago on July 11th, the last one happened. Okay, so there is a fault there. Roughly every 800 years, they have an earthquake sometimes or so. Yeah. Sometimes too much of that. But uh, it's been 91 years since. 91 years. That's not a happy happy number, is it? Sometimes it's referring to a 
about a tenth of the population is still capable to use. For anyone alive, just said, okay, it's all over, just kill me now, God, I'm the only one left, right? He's under the tree, and Jezebel's put a hit out on his life, and he says, okay, God, I'm done. I've done everything I can. I'm the only one left that cares about you. And God says, yeah, I got 7,000. You can interpret, you can translate the word families. I got 7,000 families who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. Hang in there. I've got a remnant. So remnant, kind of a reference here, a tenth of the city collapses. 7,000 people were killed. Now, how many thousand? Seven. Seven. Are we surprised by 7,000? In Revelation, what would that number kind of bring to mind? Yeah, perfect completion, so forth and so on. Was it four thousand? Was it maybe thirteen or seven? Some would say that because it's seven thousand, that that's a symbolic number. It's not uh, literal. That's possible. In general, I'm going to go with literal because the text doesn't tell the difference. Just let God figure out the numbers. Right. Yes, it still carries symbolic meaning and truth and power. Exactly. Okay, so 7,000 are killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, I dug into that. We talked about that briefly, I don't know, a couple of Sundays ago. They gave glory. It sounds to our English ears like what's the heart condition of people? give glory to God. Is it saved or unsaved people? You guys know that. Saved. Uh, usually we think of saved people giving glory to God. But uh, as I dug into that, this phrase, usually in scripture it is, obviously, believers, saved people who are doing that. But there are two or three occasions in scripture where it's, it's unsaved people. And what it literally means all by itself is acknowledging, understanding, recognizing an action of God. So it's kind of like, okay, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, right? Some of the people went, woohoo, amazing miracle, Lord and Savior, Jesus even has authority over death. But a bunch of people saying they're watching it happen did what? Jesus just raised a guy from the dead who happened. But they, so they ran to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said, he just raised the guy from the dead. He called Lazarus up to me. He's been there four days, you guys. You're going to kill this guy. So in a way, you could say they gave glory to God because they did what? They admitted and acknowledged a miracle. But they still rejected the God who gave them life. So it looks like in this passage, we're probably, doesn't it? There, there's... Could be saved people there. We talked about it might be the 144,000 saved Israelis standing there with Jesus. So it kind of could go either way. Maybe it's both. Uh, but folks are giving glory to God. They're recognizing whether they're believing or not. They're recognizing, look at this stuff God is doing. Wow. Uh, not in the attitude of praise necessarily. Isn't that Yeah. So Diana says this goes to the root of, you know, if 
prove pretty much everything. The human population we hear and see evidence of God. We're going to talk about that in the sermon today, to a degree. Um, you can hear and see evidence of God every day, all the time, 24-7. What are you going to do with it? So I hear in this Jesus saying, how many times did Jesus say after a teaching say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And you're going, is everybody there deaf? Is there a hearing problem? No, he's talking about heart condition. You're hearing the truth of God from, from his very own son. If you have a heart to receive and believe it, you can act on it. If you don't, you're going to hear, but you're going to go, that's nothing. You're just going to walk away. So this is another expression of that. survivors were terrified that the two witnesses had gone up to heaven resurrected and this earthquake happened simultaneously so the survivors are left with those who were left terrified and gave glory when you put those two together uh, it would lean towards us saying this is probably the unsaved people probably who are, are there any saved people left What's that? are there saved people left on earth well, the 144,000 are in the picture somewhere, whether they're physically present in Jerusalem or not. We can kind of, we look at some passages last couple Sundays and say, yeah, I'm sure they are. I don't, I don't, I don't think I know that 100%. Um, is it possible? Yeah, I think if, if God is still calling people to repentance, then that tells me there's still an opportunity for what? Salvation to happen. We don't see it mentioned anywhere in Revelation, but I think the I, I think Janet's on the right track here that we're probably talking about the unsaved folks who are acknowledging God is up to stuff here. We're going to admit that even if we aren't going to change our hearts towards it. Kind of wildly crazy, right? So then this verse 14 is a huge timing pinpoint verse for us. Every now and then John's like, here's when we're talking about like to have that even more than we see in, in Revelation. But here's one of his, here's what we're talking about. So verse 14, he says, the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. So let's look at our timeline here. We, we don't, hope you're not getting tired of this, but this helps understanding so much. So what does he say? The second woe has passed. When do we know, what was the second woe attached to as far as the trumpets go? Which trumpet? Sixth trumpet. Very good. And God really burning this into my brain as we go through this this year. So we got the seven trumpets. They're really big. The fifth trumpet, right before the fifth trumpet blows, is where the angel comes down and he goes, you think the first, first four trumpets were bad? The next three are, are woes. Woe is coming to you. There's three woes coming to you. And so the fifth trumpet is the first woe. Sixth trumpet is the second woe. And then we've been in, in this long interlude explaining stuff here because a whole bunch of stuff breaks loose as the seventh trumpet is blown. 
And that's what he says here. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. He says, boy, we've been working on all this stuff between the sixth and seventh trumpet. He says, boy, it's getting really close, and you ought to hold your breath for that. Isn't that the sense we're getting? Okay. I've had to explain all this stuff between the sixth trumpet before the seventh one blows, and, and it's about to blow, and I will hold my breath. These things, interesting, amazing things happen at the seventh trumpet. So that's what he's telling us here. Now, we've been doing this. We've been trying to nail down. We, by God's grace, we've been nailing down what's going on here in this time frame for three or four Sundays. So I feel like we need to go back and, and to briefly to chapter 9 to what, what was happening with the sixth trumpet. Because, in fact, just this, this week while I was preparing this, I was like, oh, I kind of forgot what's going on in the world as those two witnesses are dying laying there in the street and being resurrected and this earthquake happens and then God says watch out, the seventh trumpet's about to blow. What else is going on in the world? Here's what's going on in the world. Chapter 9 I'm just going to read it pretty quickly because we've gone through it with a fine-tooth comb. Chapter 9, verse 12 the sixth trumpet was just com coming to completion as the, the two witnesses died. So what's the sixth trumpet? What was that happening with that? Chapter 9, verse 12. The first woe is past. That was trumpet 5. Two other woes are yet to come. Verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet. I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that was before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound to the great river Euphrates. The four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So what's going on leading up to the two twit, uh, witnesses dying, three days later rising up, and this earthquake in Jerusalem? A third of humanity has just died under the sixth trumpet judgment. Verse 16, the number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. We're thinking very likely those are demonic troops. Uh, you can't you can't physically do 200 million human being troops. You just can't. Logistically impossible. Um, and then the description, verse 17, the horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, yellow as sulfur. Heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. So it's one of those verses where I could it says nobody did. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. So that's what's been happening in the I would say in the background. Most of the world is going, this is front page news. And then towards the end of that, in the midst of it, the two prophets in Jerusalem die. What's the world have to celebrate right now? A third of the population is dead. 
So I think that adds to why the place goes nuts and they have a party when the two witnesses die to stop tormenting the world with, because they were stopping the rain, they were releasing plagues. They were probably a part of the sixth bowl trumpet too. Um, sixth trumpet and the, the judging activity there. That's why the, the world has had has zero things to celebrate in this time period as they continue with a hard heart to reject God. And that's why they party so hard and the two witnesses die. And I think that leads to the terror when they see them come back to life. They're like, are you kidding me? A third of the world just died. And these guys were a part of that torment from God and now they're, now they're resurrected? We can never kill them again. So the terror is probably thick and heavy. And giving glory to God is just a momentary acknowledgement of what are we going to do with this guy? There's not a sense of I better get on my knees right now and fall in love with Jesus. The sense is, what are we gonna, he won't leave us alone. What are we going to do with this guy? Okay? So does that, that help? Um, wow. So got to keep in mind what is all happening here is all poured into this, this moment. Why is it poured into this moment? Any other questions or comments? Through verse 14. I don't know if it's included in the number of the one-third killed. I think probably so. Yeah. So verse 14, again, the second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. That means the seventh trumpet. And that's what we're expecting, right? If everything is flowing and making sense, well, here's what we have in verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And we, we kind of want to say, say what? Finally. <laughs> Finally. Let's get this show in the road. The show has been on the road. It's just been a whole bunch of stuff has been piling on in importance here. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven which said, now I'm assuming it's angels. John doesn't tell us if it's a particular grouping of angels. He doesn't say it's the four living creatures, the 24 elders. He doesn't say it's all of heaven. Interesting, right? He doesn't tell us exactly who. He says there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. What just happened? What just got declared? seventh trumpet is blowing. What's the seventh trumpet announcing? Jesus now rules and reigns upon the earth. So he's got to be where? 
and that and that announcement takes place. He's got to be in Jerusalem in that moment. And to be honest, I've preached through Revelation. I've gone through it with confirmation kids two or three times. It took going through this with, with uh, you folks verse by verse for me to understand this moment is way, way, way bigger than I had previously understood. There's a whole bunch of stuff uh, prophesied in images that comes to this moment. Now, so, so key things here. The kingdom of the world, kingdom meaning rulership, kingship, obviously, right? The kingdom of the world, planet Earth, has become that's a uh, past tense. It's now been accomplished. Has become the kingdom of, the, of our Lord and of his Christ. Who's been ruling up to now? Satan. Satan has been. The, the prince of the prince of the air, prince of the power of the air. And the Antichrist has been ruling the world from Jerusalem up until this moment. So he's been ruling. Christ takes over kingship over the earth. And how long will that last then? It will reign for how long? 1260 days? Seven years? He's taken over. And there's, there's no giving it back. There's going to be two horrific battles where Satan tries a desperate attempt to take it back. First one is Armageddon. So on, uh, on timelines, we've got your markers. Anybody need markers for your timelines? Okay. On your timelines, this big bell of the seventh trumpet is down here. On that bell, I wrote third woe, Rev 